In Parenting Today, we have Wellbeing and Emotions Facilitator Kat Levine. She's facilitating a series of online workshops aimed at helping teachers and school support staff to identify and work with students with anxiety. Kat is with us to talk about what the Nurturing Healthy Minds workshops entail, and she has some tips for guiding and helping with the well-being of children with anxiety. Kia ora, Kat. Morena, how are you? I'm really well, thanks. Just give us a little bit of background about your own work and area of expertise that sort of led you to this. Uh, Yes, I'd love to. So there's two parts. There's my professional life and then there's my life as a mother. So in the personal life, I have three young adult children and one of them has struggled with anxiety um, and it's been quite severe. She's now uh, nearly 18 and working with me. So from a personal state, I just have such a passion to help parents and teachers understand anxiety as I wish I had knowing this information when she was younger to be better be able to support her. Um, and on a professional, uh, in my professional life, I tour schools and, and have a wellbeing hub of resources for teachers and children that help them deal with anxiety and manage their emotions. And that's where that part, this amazing partnership came with Life Education to do this professional development for teachers Uh, about how the the practical strategies they can use in the classroom to support students with anxiety. So it's all just amazing how we can work together for the well-being of our tamariki. What age group are these workshops aimed at, Kat? So they're for primary, intermediate and secondary schools. So I've trained close to 800 teachers at 22 webinars this year um, from July and we're going to continue them next year this nurturing healthy minds through life education Um, and the the demand is is just there from whatever age it can be teachers principals senkos who are all coming along to this training because they really noticing their need to know how to help these students with anxiety so that's what life education do is not just herald the giraffe which most parents will be familiar with in their children's schools but that um, life education is wanting to support the teachers and where they need it most and this um, the practical areas of well-being and resilience so when we were before we work through those uh, toolkits let's just talk a little bit more about what you're hearing from the principals and teachers you're talking to about the general well-being of children both pre and post pandemic actually because the pandemic obviously brought its own set of challenges but what were they telling you about what's been happening for some time well, I'm close to 50 and I was very familiar with depression. That was something that people talked about. I recognised in myself and other people. So I feel like people my age, you know, depression's kind of a thing um, that, that you understand. But once I started hearing about this anxiety and with what my daughter was going through, I really had, just didn't have any concept. What is this? Doesn't everybody feel anxious? Um, and so that's what the teachers, because they're with the tamariki and rangatahi, and they're saying, this isn't just COVID re- related. There has been an increase in anxiety and it's actually overtaking depression um, as sort of the number one mental health disorder. So um, it was already there before COVID, but COVID has really blown it up. Um, I've got those five risk factors. Do you want me to go through those? Let's do that. Okay. So, yeah, like we said, there there's COVID, but there's also 
um, these other five main reasons. And so the first one is that genetic predisposition, as with any sort of mental disorder, if you've got a family member with depression or, um, or anxiety, then you're more likely to have it. The second one is the brain chemistry. And this one I just found mind-blowing, this research on the um, in utero. So if a, if a baby is exposed, if the, the mother is highly stressed during that third trimester of pregnancy, it affects the brains of the baby, their fight or flight response. So they're more predispositioned to anxiety. And so when I look at my youngest daughter, I had an incredibly stressful pregnancy. I had hoping cough. My other daughter had an operation and we moved house and I sprained my ankle. It was just three months of intensity. And so she was just cooked in this soup of cortisol and adrenaline and was right from being born. She was had that predisposition towards it. And there's some really interesting research about the... Um, the babies that were born after the Christchurch earthquake, that this toxic levels of stress have been affecting them um, more than the ones who are actually born. So it's those neurodevelopmental changes that it can affect their physical health, um, digestive problems, respiratory, um, cognitive, behavioral, social, emotional, and health issues. And so the stress levels that the mothers have um, while they're pregnant is so that's number two. First one's genetic predisposition. Second one is brain chemistry. The third one is the the fano, the environment of those closest to him. And when we look at the um, the fano, we look at the parents, and, and a, a psychologist will say. If you bring a child to a psychologist who has um, anxiety, first thing they'll ask is how's your anxiety level? And I know if I take my kid along to counselling, I'm like, well, you know, deal with them. This isn't about me. But there's this amazing, I just love reading all this research that um, they did on mothers and showed when mothers were taken to a very stressful, doing a speech in front of a panel of very disapproving people, you know, had the control group as well. Then when they were reunited with their one-year-old babies, it affected that stress level. It's contagious, the stress, and it would affect the stress levels in the one-year-old baby when the mother was reunited with them. So they're picking up your heart rate, you know, your pupil dilation, your breathing rates. So think about COVID. As much as we can try and hide it from our children and, and read the news and listen to things and keep them protected, they're picking up on the environment. They're picking up on our stress levels, but they're also we're also modeling either healthy or unhealthy coping strategies. So are we showing this is what I do when I'm stressed? I go for a walk, I take some time out, or do they see us with a wine on social media watching Netflix or spending too much online? Do we have healthy coping strategies for when we're under stress? Um, so that's something to look at in the in the family environment. The next one, um, so we've got genetic predisposition, brain chemistry, family background, and then lifestyle factors. So we've got um, energy drinks, high sugar, lack of sleep, which is a huge one for anxiety. First thing they'll ask is, what's your anxiety like? And then they'll say, what's their sleeping patterns? So my daughter was too scared to go to sleep to close her eyes. So she would be up so late at night after I went to sleep um, and then they feel more anxious the next day and they don't have enough sleep. So it's this vicious cycle. So we've got sleep um, and healthy diet, because if you've got a healthy diet, it's stabilizing that energy rather than surging and, you know, the, the, the things that create that heightened state. So we've got 
genetics, brain chemistry, family background, lifestyle factors. And the last one there is social influence. And that's not just social media, um, but it's that feeling, am I accepted and do I belong with my tribe? Which to start off is with your family. Um, Am I safe here? Do I belong? Because I think about a gazelle in the wild, if they get separated off from um, from the herd, it's like death for them. And that's what it's like with these children. If they don't feel accepted and nurtured and safe in their family environment, it is like death at a primal level. And as they go through adolescence, that'll be their, their um, peers. Am I accepted? Do I have the right shoes? Am I getting enough likes? So those are the five sort of risk factors of why anxiety is so much on the increase. Really interesting stuff, Kat, and and really Mm. quite sort of fundamental stuff. So the next question is, uh, what can you do to first recognise and then second help? Um, And and we we, we sort of talked at the outset about this difference between normal anxiety and anxiety disorder. Is it important to know uh, Mm. because it will affect how the situation is managed? Yeah, yeah, and definitely if professional help is needed. And I didn't even know that there was such a thing as anxiety disorders or social anxiety. I think, oh, you're just a bit nervous or stressed. So anxiety or that stress is a natural reaction when we it's difficult, we're stressed, or we feel threatened, and it's tri- triggered by something. And it actually can um, motivate us to get things done or make precautions to keep us safe. Um, but the difference with an anxiety disorder, which is a mental disorder which will get um, diagnosed, um, I remember it by the four Ds. So the first one is a, a disproportionate, intense emotional response. So something happens, and you can understand a baby freaking out and crying, but an eight-year-old doing that about someone letting off a balloon, you think, you know, you don't, that, that's disproportionate. The second thing is, um, you know, second sign, it could be an anxiety disorder, is, is it disruptive, interfering with their day-to-day life? Are they struggling to do the things? You know, we always have a range of children who are sort of held more back and the ones who are very broad, um, sorry, bold. There's that broad, broad spectrum of confidence and willing to try new things. But if they're so outside of that um, that, that normal scope, and it's just, you know, it's interfering. They're not joining in with sports. They're not wanting to go to school. They're not wanting to go to things. That's the disruptive, the second D. Third one is it's distressing because and they feel that this feeling is impossible for them to control or manage. So it's very, very upsetting for them. And the fourth one, the same with um, depression as well, is is it ongoing? We all have ups and downs. We all have times when we're feeling nervous. But if it's that toxic stress level and that elevated state of our fight or flight, if it's going on for weeks or months, that's when it's dangerous physically with the inflammation, but it also could be something that you need um, professional help with. So I wonder if, we should, st- I wonder if we should stay with that level first and then we'll come back mm. to what you might call normal, um, a more normal mm. uh, or common level of anxiety. If you are seeing those signs, if you are concerned, what, what is it that people can do to seek help? Do you begin with a GP? Because this is so often the case with any kind of need to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It's so darn hard to get there. So, you know, for someone who does believe at the very least um, th- there's a need to check out what's going on, where, where do they go, Kat? Well, yeah, there's two two places um, that I would suggest that you go to first off. And um, life education with this Nurturing Healthy Minds Teachers Professional Development we're doing, we partnered with 
Autism New Zealand and Anxiety New Zealand. And um, Anxiety New Zealand has an amazing 0800 number that's free for anyone that you can call or you can go to their website and they'll have someone there who can guide you. Even if someone's having a panic attack, ring that 0800 number and they'll try and they'll talk them through that and calm them down. But they'll also be able to direct you what's available is it one-on-one counselling? Is it don't going to classes? Is it reading something on their website? So they have um, very um, a lot of expertise um, on anxiety. The other thing, yes, is your GP because when I'm talking to GPs and the research I'm seeing is that it can be eighty percent of what GPs are seeing is actually linked to mental and emotional health. So um, sore tummies, um, constipation. That's a sign of anxiety. And my daughter had sore tummies all the time. I tried gluten-free, I tried this, I tried that, and I was at a loss. It was actually her anxiety. Headaches, unable to sleep, all of these things. And so you can go take your child into the doctor and say, well, they've got these tummy aches and they won't go along, you know, do an allergy test or something. There's a really good chance they'll go, "Mm mm-hmm, this is anxiety. So going in with that, read up on the anxiety website um, and take the information in of how long are they sleeping, what are the signs, how long's it been going on for. So you're pre-prepared when you go into the seat with GP. Kat Levine is our guest. We're talking about the work she does with Nurturing Healthy Minds workshops going around schools. Did you say 800 schools you've been to? Goodness, that's... No, no, no. That, oh. No, that... Um, there's 800 teachers who have ah, been trained big pardon, big through pardon. the webinars for life education, yeah. Excellent. Okay. Um, yes, I've, I've just taken you through most of the of the primary sector anyway. <laughs> Let, let's <laughs> yeah. look then at what you do with the teachers and the workshops because this will assist parents also. And look, for, for whatever cause and, and whatever reason, and thank you for outlining the, the likely ones um, uh, that can be involved, and, and goodness, just looking at the... Looking at the environmental situations and, and perhaps um, families under stress and pressure, hmm. you know, we've got such insecure housing, we've got so many financial pressures, families on the move, and you can really see how that may be being um, completely unintentionally but inevitably translated to, to what a, um, a fetus is experiencing a, uh, or, hmm. or a child is experiencing. So whatever the cause what is it that you can do to help uh, children manage uh, their anxiety and, and help you mm. help manage your own anxiety about it? Mm. Mm. Well, that was a great point that you just ended on is what are we doing to take care of our stress levels? And, um, you know, self-care, it all sounds a bit airy-fairy and light a, light a candle and all that kind of thing. But there are... Um, just, you know, that whole thing of putting the oxygen mask on yourself first, what do you need to do? And one of the, um, I talk a lot in the second workshop, sort of the more advanced one about our stress hormones, the adrenaline and cortisol, and how we counteract that by increasing the four happy hormones. So you've got your um, endorphins and you've got your oxytocin and, um, you know, your dopamine and that. So what can we do to increase those four and that's the same for ourselves. So going um, nature is is huge for our mental health and well-being and, t- and de-stressing us. So even seeing a plant, seeing greenery on your yes. screensaver helps, yep. you know, helps regulate you. Green so effect and blue up. effect are very big, yes. right? Water yes. and, and, and even, trees. Yep. And even um, in hospitals, it shows people get better quicker when they can see greenery from their hospital bed so going out for a walk in the park or walk around the block and it's not about uh, that's also regulating you by the um, rhythmic the left and right you as you swing your arms it's just so calming it's not about getting fit 
but it'll help get the cortisol and the adrenaline, the stress hormones out of your body, that toxic stress, so you'll be sleeping better. Um, so in trying to avoid, I know I'm a coffee and chocolate fan, but those are stimulants and keeping you elevated. So if you can try and pull back on that, that is great. You know, your your um, sleep hygiene, they call it, trying to get off the screens before bed and doing what you can. Um, that, I mean, it's just such a little touch on some things. But when we look to the, the children and what I love about being able to speak to you is, with the Nurturing Healthy Minds um, through life education, we focused on the teachers. But there's some of the things I say, I know you have no control over this because it's happening at home. So that first thing is the sleep. What And, and I know my journey is it is not a one-stop shop. It's, it is a long, long journey to try and get your child sleeping well. So you've got sleep apps, sleep sounds, um, sleep drops, all sorts of things, but keep working on that. Just say, this is my mission in life to get my child sleeping well. Um, so working on that, we said, you know, the second S is your own stress levels because of that co-regulation. When you're calm, you bring your calm to their chaos and they will calm down being in your presence. But if you're wound up and stressed out and overwhelmed, that you can't calm them down. Um, and then the, the skills that we all need to learn healthy coping strategies. None of us are born knowing what to do when our buttons are pushed and we feel overwhelmed. But when you're teaching them, these are some, I have some, you know, mindfulness. Or, I mean, it sounds, might sound a bit airy-fairy, but I go, okay, I'm taking some deep breaths in and out, deep belly breaths down to my tummy because breathing is just amazing to calm us down. Then I look around and I say to myself, what are five things I can see? Just quietly look around. What are four things I can hear? What are three things I can touch? And what are two things I can smell? And one thing that I can taste or I'm looking forward to. And when I get amped up and stressed out and my brain is going into the future running 100 miles an hour, but when I do that, I'm going for a walk. My brain can't concentrate on all my stressors and count how many five, five things I can see. I chose pink things because I've got pink hair. But anyway, what are five things I can see? So by you doing that and you're modeling that to them and practicing it, it will become second nature. So choosing some of those calming strategies, practicing them over and over, just like a um, fire drill at school. We don't wait till we're in a fire. We practice it before. And so they'll know what to do, to do their deep breathing or their anchoring, whatever it is. And the, the fourth, so we've got sleep, stress, and skills. And the fourth thing is schedules and details. And for children with anxiety, because their prefrontal cortex, that thinking part of their brain, when they're elevated in fight or flight, they are not um, they're not being able to use that thinking part of their brain. So they're not retaining the information. So if you're like, go get your bag and type your shoes and brush your teeth and blah, blah, blah. Most of that goes in and out and just stresses them out. But they really like to have things written down. At 9.15, we're doing this, and 10.30, so I'm teaching the teachers, encouraging them, a lot of them do it already, but right on the board, this is what's next, and get your pen, and you need your running shoes, and you need this and this, because that will help them rest in the knowledge, I know what to do, if I forget it, I can go look back at that checklist, so having structure, and try not to just um, spring things on them last minute, like, well, let's go to the beach, that's so anxiety-inducing for them, because they just like to know what's happening. 
So those are four quick tips, sleep, stress, skills and schedules. Okay. Kat, I'm going to ask you to come back another time. Will you do that? Oh, of course. I'd love to. Because I'm sure there's more we can do. I've just got one question that I want you to uh, address. There's so much more. What I love what you're talking about is actually calming the nervous system down before we even talk about how we might manage ongoing issues like worry about the world you know and all the incoming stimulus but what you focused on is just how to calm things down just to get back in the moment but there's one question I'll ask you you know if you can address it for this listener um, and then we'll have another go in a second session if you don't mind. Our child has debilitating anxiety which has resulted in being unable to attend school or leave home for the last four plus plus months. What strategies can we use as parents to help support our child at getting out and away from home more despite it being uncomfortable for them? Oh, I'm just going to start off by saying my heart breaks. Um, the emails I get and parents contacting me with self-harm and their children um, and what teachers are dealing with, I just am moved at a deep level. So just want to say, I wish you could come and give you a big hug and say, you know, I know how hard it can be. Um, having your professional professional support and the people there that can help you at that level and I'm not going to pretend to be that. But one um, one strategy that I found worked really well with with my children is that it's called a laddering technique. So um, if there's something that they're scared of, like, you know, I'll take a big thing like going to school camp, we break it down into smaller little steps. What's a manageable step? One is we could go and take them for a drive past the school, the camp. We could see if they want to stay, you know, a couple of hours to have a sleepover at auntie's and then maybe try an overnight. And so it's not saying, right, you know, you're, you're caught up inside and you're so anxious and now we're going to take you to the mall. We are just saying, what's a little step that we can take together? That might be sitting out on the lawn um, and just just take the little steps with them. Um, and that working on that self-talk with um, cognitive behavioural theory, which is a lot that I work with, or acceptance and commitment theory, is acknowledging, hey, I'm feeling like that. But something I also teach with children is, You've got this voice, so if they understand you've got your amygdala, that's the fight or flight part of your brain that is recognizing danger. And I call it your angry dragon and your worry watchdog. So your worry watchdog is telling you you're in danger. I actually have a worry watchdog who I base this character on. She barks at anything. She's always telling me I'm in danger and it might be a leaf or a bird. And so when they can understand, this is just a part of their brain that's telling them they're in danger. It's not assessing risk correctly. And if they understand, that's why I get these tummies, um, tummy aches, that's why I shake, that's why I feel sick, then they'll go, this is what's happening. My body's telling me this and taking it outside of themselves. Oh, that's my worry watchdog um, telling me I'm, you know, I'm... Um, in danger, but I'm going to listen to, I call it cool cat thinking, which is your, you know, your thinking brain and saying, you know, um, just try a little bit at a time or just do this. And so knowing that they've got those conversations going on in their head, um, but it's a long journey and it's not something that we can easily fix, but keep, keep up with it. Kat, thank you. Please come back another time and we'll keep going. Plenty more to talk about. So we've got, yeah. Two more workshops for the teachers um, with life education, and we're going to be continuing them weekly next year. So if you know any teachers 
would love to have more of this, then you can go to the Life Education website and register there. I'd love to see some of you, of your teachers and the teachers from your schools. Thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Kate Levine, thanks for your time.